Monkey Frog Gaming Podcast. You are joined by your usual hosts here, uh, Josh Hartley. Um, and Ben Porter. And we're joined this Independence Day by a man who has been in the tabletop games industry since both Josh and myself were but twinkles in our respective father's eyes. It's Steve Jackson. Hello. Hello, Steve. <laughs> How are we doing today? Uh, we are sweltering in a nearly 100 degree temperature in Austin, Texas, but we're surviving. Air conditioning is a great boon to mankind. Uh, excellent. Uh, we are also sweltering in Glasgow, except uh, no one has air conditioning here because yeah. it never gets this hot. So <laughs> I, think, I right. think we're about 90 degrees Fahrenheit here at the moment. It's probably so. considerably colder than Texas, I can almost guarantee it. Yeah. Yes, I would take 90 right now and be grateful for it. <laughs> <laughs> the weird thing is, it wasn't that long ago since we had like like six inches of snow either. So, yeah. I don't know. British Str weather, yay! <laughs> Strange days and no mistake. <laughs> Absolutely. So, thank you very much for coming on the show, uh, Steve. So, Steve Jackson, uh, obviously, of Steve Jackson Games. Mm -hmm. And you, uh, well, you're coming on for a number of reasons, but uh, primarily you've got uh, a reissue of one of your classic games. Is that right? That's correct, uh, we are going to do a revised edition of The Fantasy Trip, which was a game that I started writing in 1977. And uh, the first parts of it were released in 77. More of it dribbled out over the, last, uh, over the next couple of years. And it was well thought of for a while, but then the publisher closed its doors, and you know what happens to a role-playing game with no support. Nothing yeah. happens to a role-playing game with no support. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> um, but I had sold the rights to it, and I thought that was that. But it turns out that under U.S. law, under certain circumstances, after a long enough time, a uh, 30-year frame, um, it's possible to recover the rights for a creator to recover the rights to something that they sold. And it turned out that I still had my contract lying around and this met those circumstances. So I got back the rights to the parts of the fantasy trip that I had actually personally created, uh, which was the text of eight releases. No art except the art that I had drawn myself, and this goes back far enough that there actually were some graphics that I had, uh, I had created myself. But for the most part, we had to start over on art and graphics. And I have been working on the words part of things, uh, trying to make this the game that I wished it could have been uh, nearly 40 years ago. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, do you know, we were actually going to ask about the timing of the re-release as well, weren't we, uh, Ben? Yeah, so, well, first of all, why don't you tell us a bit about what the fantasy trip actually is, because uh, I dare say there's a lot of our listeners who have never heard of it. A lot of our listeners uh, were probably born after the fantasy trip was no longer available in stores. There's, so, a, yeah. there's, a, there's a couple of our presenters who are like that as well. <laughs> but, uh, the Fantasy Trip is a role-playing system. It started out 
just as a little combat system that I wrote because I was dissatisfied with the combat rules in the original D&D. Mm-hmm. And one thing led to another, and that little combat game, little tactical combat game, was released as Melee. Then it was fought, and that was a $2.95, I think, product. Then uh, we had Wizard, which added magic to the mix, and that was a whole $3.95 because it had two counter sheets in it and a bigger map. And that was followed by a couple of solo adventures called Death Test and Death Test 2, which are basically you, you go into this prepared series of arenas and fight for the amusement of a ruler who is, uh, who is recruiting new guards. And he wants to get really, really hard men for his guard. So he puts them through this series of scenarios first. And if you don't die and don't run away, you're hired. <laughs> kind of a brutal version of The Apprentice. I was just about to say the exact same yeah. thing. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Except instead of you're fired, it's you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, which uh, for the US version, might actually be better than working for Donald Trump. So, yeah. you know, there we go. I, I, feel, I feel like the US Apprentice, they maybe had to talk Donald Trump back from doing that. You know? <laughs> so after that, so we decided, uh, oh, and the company publishing this was Metagaming. Uh, so it was decided that there should be a whole role-playing system, and I worked and I worked and I worked, and many mighty words were written. But uh, during this process, I was also coming to a parting of the ways with Metagaming. Mm-hmm. And the many words that I had written were eventually released in three different books plus a separate adventure, I was no longer around by the time those came out, as I recall, and I sold my rights. Mm-hmm. So uh, I didn't have anything more to do with it. And there were more releases after that, but the company only lasted a couple more years. So in the end, there was an ending. I see. And is, is, is the whole reason of behind you re-releasing it now, is it purely the fact that, uh, you know, this... Um under the US law you've been able to gain the rights for it is this something you've been wanting to do for a while now or was this there another some- reason yes this is something I've been wanting to do for a long while and now I've been given a chance to go back and and do it right and obviously I hope that it will be successful and sells tons of copies and uh, let me continue working on material and adventures and support and so on I don't think it needs a lot more rules Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a good, it's a very simple game to play. It's definitely an introductory fantasy role-playing game. Character creation can be accomplished in just a few minutes. It's a points balance system, but there aren't very many things to buy. So everybody can start with a different character, but without spending hours trying to min-max something. There is no min-max in this. I, I shook that out 40 years ago. Excellent, excellent. And uh, so when, when are we expecting to see this uh, on uh, in stores? It will kickstart starting on July 23rd. We will send PDFs out to supporters in October. 
in late October or early November, we will send it to press, which will allow time for people to read over their PDFs and tell me that I've misspelled orc or whatever. <laughs> and uh, then we intend it to be in supporters' hands by March. Stores probably April. Supporters get it first. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah. So you, you've met, you've mentioned just there that the the fantasy trip is quite a, a streamlined system uh, compared perhaps to some other tabletop role playing games. But out, outside of that, what can players get from the fantasy trip that they couldn't f- or that they could from? Why should they play Fantasy Trip instead of something else? Uh, is, is that a fair rephrase? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good enough. Good enough. Fortunately, I have an answer to this question. Excellent. Uh, and the answer is that there are enough rules in there to allow you to really get into role-playing once you've got your characters launched and out into the world. But it's a very, very easy start. It's a very easy bring in if you have a friend who either is is afraid of role-playing games because they're three thick books or because they're already very invested in one more game that might be complex and they don't want to learn another. You can say to them, well, come over and play Fantasy Trip because we can get you kitted out with a character in five minutes and then we can go down and kill things. Yep, and uh, who can uh, who could reject that proposition? Well, I suppose that's one of the main problems with a lot of the the tabletop RPGs on the market at the moment is when you're creating a character, that's pretty much a whole session. Yeah, it's a significant time investment. Yeah. So. No, it definitely sounds uh, sounds uh, great. So, uh, obviously, we're going to be seeing that uh, release later on in the year. I mean, but you. Steve, you've been in the industry now for uh, for a very long time. So, um, what what are the main the big changes that you've seen come about, and have, have they all been expected for you, or has some things taken you by surprise? I've often been taken by surprise. Uh, it's very very interesting the way the way changes come about, and they come about for different reasons. The collecting card game, for instance, that was just a brilliant breakthrough and it it combined a a paradigm that people liked with a very very good first implementation Uh, magic is a good game Uh, you've seen lots of collecting card games that aren't so great and if the hobby if the collecting hobby had been launched with something like that things would be very different now but magic owned the market immediately and it still owns it yeah, pretty More much. Uh, I mean, uh, and I suppose we kind of take for granted now that there's quite a number of different um, players in in that sort of scene with you know Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh and that. But Magic was there well before any of those guys, and is still going strong after 25 years as well, which is no mean feat uh, for a game to be continuously published for that length of time. That's correct. Then more recently, we saw the rise of light, humorous card games, which I probably had something to do with, with Munchkin, and we're (laughs) still shipping Munchkin. And then more recently still, we have just seen the tremendous explosion in available games of all kinds, uh, board games, card games, uh, role-playing packages. 
And that's, that's uh, down to two factors. Uh, the first is Kickstarter, uh, which lets anybody who can tell a really good story get enough financing to try to launch a game. And the second is that the Chinese factories continue to get better equipment and they continue, I think, to get hungrier, so they are reducing their minimums. Um, so between, between it becoming cheaper to produce a game of, of at least professional physical quality and uh, Kickstarter making the money available, we have lots and lots of people getting into it. Yeah, it's almost like what uh, they used to say is that every, everyone's got a good novel in them. Uh, may, maybe everyone's got a good board game in them. Well, yeah. everybody has a board game in them, but they're not all good. A valid point. A very valid point. Making uh, retailers so, go crazy right now because if somebody has a bad board game in them, but they have Kickstarter money to hire a good artist, then uh, there you have something that will sit on the set shelves and not sell very many copies. And that is rough on your friendly local game store. Yes. There, there may be a company that is doing that on a, a nigh-on monthly basis at the moment. <laughs> we shan't mention names. but I don't, uh, know what but... Name, I don't know what name you're thinking of, but I'm thinking of a name too. So uh... <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll compare notes after we've uh, stopped recording, <laughs> for both of our sakes. <laughs> Um, but you, you were talking there about um, about Kickstarter. And to be honest, most of the guests that we have on the show, uh, they are uh, usually one or two guys who have got this idea and they're trying to make it work. You, on the other hand, you, you've got your own game studio. So how, how different is the development process when you've got a, a studio behind you? Well, how about I don't know because I've never not had a studio. <laughs> That's uh, a fair point. <laughs> I, I started off with metagaming, and I was doing design, and they were doing the support work. Now, in those days, it was so shorthanded, as I said, that I had to do some of the graphics. If you've ever seen the original map for Ogre, you've seen an example of why game designers should not be permitted to draw maps. <laughs> it's just so sincere and so pathetic. <laughs> No, it's a, it's a fair point though. People, uh, it, it's pe different skill sets. Yes, isn't exactly. It? Completely yeah. different skill sets. <laughs> but uh, yes, uh, somebody who is trying to set up their own operation, they have to do everything for themselves. And I would guess that that makes it work a whole lot faster, except when it slows down completely because they're called on to do something that is outside their set. Well, let alone the fact that most of these guys are doing it uh, part time. Yeah. As, as well, or, sorry, rather in their free time. Yeah, well, they've got a day job, and then they're doing these projects on. Top a lot of them it. have families as well, yeah. and yeah, it's uh, yeah, always uh, admire anyone who can actually get a game to uh, get a game to press. It happens, and some of them turn out to be very good. I'm looking at a copy of Terraforming Mars right now, for instance. There's uh, there's a brilliant game. We haven't had a chance to play it yet, actually. No. Uh, it's definitely one on our list. Uh, it seems to be a bit marmitey that one. You know, p people either rave about it or it just makes their head spin. Right, right. And yeah, you might you might want to back up on the table just in case your first group turns out to be in the head spin category. I quite like it. Of course, part of it is the theme. 
I'm a sucker for theme. I always start with theme when I'm doing a design, which makes me, unlike many designers, who come up with a really good mechanic and test it and try it out, and then eventually they put a theme on it. But I always start with theme. Yeah, and I, th- I like theme. We well, we we always like. Uh, I, I, I think the difference between a good game and a great game, or one of the differences anyway, can be if uh, if a game really captures whatever the theme is supposed to be. If it feels like you know, I am uh, I'm, I'm trying to hire a band of uh, warriors to uh, do my bidding, or if I'm try- if it makes me feel like I'm fighting Cthulhu. Or uh, what, whatever Lovecraftian. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of the reasons I just can't get into a lot of these these really heavy worker placement games. Is because they all sort of blur together, and it's like a map of a European country with Here's, some meeples. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I feel the same way. There's some worker placement games that I really enjoy, but after a while, you have seen the worker placement game. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so. You were you were mentioning earlier on, Steve, that you've always been part of a studio, so in a lot of ways your development process hasn't really changed very much, but do you feel that the weight of expectation is greater on you now than it was when you started out, now that you have a reputation? Oh, absolutely. That's what reputation is. That's... Uh... Your reputation is what people expect you to do next. So, so my answer to that is just certainly yes. Yeah. How how do you manage that? Heavy drinking. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, they've all got my name on the cover, so I make them as good as I can. I know that's that's that sounds awfully naive, but that's the only way I can manage it is just by doing my best. Oh, that's yeah. No, yeah. that's. Uh, I mean, what else can you do? <laughs> yeah. So, bringing it back to tabletop role-playing games for for a minute, you know, you're in the throes of uh, re-releasing the fantasy trip, um, uh, and we've mentioned during the course of our conversation that there there's been something of a boom in tabletop games, but in particular, I think there there's been an explosion in interest for tabletop role-playing games. Uh, what do you attribute to that? It's getting cheaper to publish books. Yeah. It's, it's... Uh, that's, that's why you're seeing an explosion in the market is because the creators who have been there all along can now take it off their computer and put it in front of you. Because they don't even need to print them now. Mm. That's the thing. You can just uh, upload it to a website, and there it is. The whole world can get access to your creation. Yeah, that's that's right. And fortunately, very few people are doing that yet with Cthulhu summoning spells. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Someone's probably uploaded the Necronomicon somewhere. Yeah, uh, there are so many fake ones. We're probably safe on that. Yeah, that, yeah. that's so there's a few different editions floating around, and <laughs> you know these things like. When they translate them over time, they become diluted. So, you know, I dare say some of the Cthulhu spells that are circulating, you know, you maybe just summon a squid instead of. Right. The great ah, ah, himself. Fear me, fear me. <laughs> 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 
And well, you, 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 the, the the guy you're fighting is just going, well, I mean, it's impressive. I'll give yeah. you that, but I don't see how this helps you at all. Yeah, I mean, you materialised the mollusk from nothing, but ultimately, like, what are you going to do? We're going to make calamari here? Summon calamari. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Well, let's see. Where where do we go from here? We've uh, we've gone down the squid rabbit hole. Yeah, I mean, where where do we go from squid? What question. would a squid rabbit look like? Would it even live in a hole? A squid rabbit. A squid rabbit. That would be horrifying. That does sound quite Cthulhu. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, there, there is one thing I, I like. I, I do need to ask. Uh, a little tongue-in-cheek, but uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how sick are you of people getting you and the UK uh, Steve Jackson game developer mixed up? Oh, that's gotten down to a 1 by now. It doesn't happen very much anymore. That's good. Because what I actually, uh, when we were, um, uh, what I didn't realise, uh, of course, you've actually penned some of the fighting fantasy novels as well, but back then they didn't actually say you were a different Steve Jackson to the UK Steve Jackson. That's that's correct, and that's not Steve's fault. That's uh, that's just the way the publisher did it. There, you go. there we are. <laughs> yeah. Steve and Ian are quite nice guys. I haven't seen them in years and would like to uh, catch up with them again someday, maybe next year in Dublin. Oh, excellent, excellent. Oh, this is a bit of news. Uh, I have been invited as a guest of honor to the 2019 World Science Fiction Convention, which is in Dublin. Oh, fantastic. Well, that's cool. That's fantastic. So if, if people are uh, in Dublin, for the, uh, when is the convention? When, when can they, uh, will they get an, an opportunity to meet you? Uh, let me look that up on Yield Magic Calendar here. <laughs> I don't have the dates memorized, but I can get you a straight answer. Yes. After <laughs> Google talking. Here's Just while you're looking that up, uh, one of the other things that crossed my mind, Steve, is, uh, what, I mean, you mentioned Terraforming Mars already, but what, what other games are on your, your table at the moment? Well, let's see. There's a game called Century that I have quite enjoyed. Phil Reed has brought it a couple of times for me to play. Mm-hmm. Um. I am spending way too much time with the version of Splendor that is on my iPad. Have you played Splendor? No, I'm just I'm, I'm actually just racking my brain now. There, there was quite a few people um, doing organised play for Splendor when we were mm. UK Games Expo. I noticed. But it's not one that uh, I've had a I've had a chance to no. uh, play. We we we've got our teeth firmly sunk into uh, the um, Call of Cthulhu uh, living card game, Arkham Horror, yeah, by Fantasy Flight. Uh, well, cool. Yeah, and uh, I mean we were uh, we, we're kind of halfway through our pande- first go at Pandemic Legacy, which is not going so well. But nope. Um, you mean from the sense of it's not playing well, or everybody is dying? Everybody is dying. I'm absolutely, in a weird way, I'm I'm loving the game. Uh, it's uh, like we were saying earlier. You know, you you get a sense that you get a really strong sense of theme from that game. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's all going horribly wrong within the game. <laughs> okay, okay. To answer the question about WorldCon, it yes. is. August 15th through 19th, 
2019. That is in there. That is in Dublin as well. Uh, yes, and the website for it is Dublin2019.com. Dublin2019.com. Oh, maybe, right. maybe make an appearance there. Yes, I've never been to Dublin. Have you not? No, no. Are your family are Irish as well. I know. I really should go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think we've I think we've covered just about everything. Um, right, that's just about all we've got time for, Steve. But very quickly before we go, I know you've already said it, but for people who are interested in the fantasy trip, uh, where where should they go to find out more and uh, to possibly get a copy? Website thefantasytrip.game. There you go. Excellent, excellent. And I'm writing little bits of stuff every week and putting it up there, new monsters and things like that, that have never been published for TFT before. So uh, there there are lots of little goodies. Excellent, yeah. So uh, check out the website, guys. Kickstarter be uh, coming the, soon. The show note in the show notes for that as well. Yes. Uh, but Steve, thank you very much for uh, joining us uh, today. And thank guys, you for thank having you very, me. Yes, it's been and fun. guys, thank you very much for listening. And uh, we'll until next time, we'll catch you then. Goodbye. Bye for now. Hi guys, it's uh, Josh from the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast here. Thanks for listening to us. And now be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for the Unlucky Frog Gaming. Uh, you can also show your support for Unlucky Frog through Patreon. Be sure to check out our website, www unluckyfrog.com to find out more. Was that so hard? <laughs> <I'm>, look... <laughs>